said, there are so many like corollaries like down the line. It's absurd. From like the rank and file defending him, right. you know, religious leaders coming out and being like, he's a good man. Nixon's a good Christian, you know, and uh, it's just it's not going to end well one way or another. You know what Trump will do if Jared Kushner actually goes down for something. That is something mm. that I both do not want to see. <laughs> and also I would like to just kind of like read a report from the right. future. Yeah. And be like, after learning that Jared Kushner yeah. would go to prison for any amount of time, you know, Trump right. uh, outlawed babies. <laughs> no new babies could be born. Yeah. Yeah. It's something <laughs> until that Kushner's out. You don't want to live through, but you want to know what the conclusion of it is. Yeah. Which I think ties in a little bit to the true crime stuff we'll talk about later, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did before it slips my mind. I, w- I wanted to do. I've got two quick follow ups to last week's episode. Okay, I have one too. The first one uh, is something that Julia pointed out to me, and it's that Ex Machina was not on your list of best sci-fi movies. Oh, it but been. Annihilation was. Uh-huh. So, do you like Annihilation more than Ex Machina? Or was that just a slip of the mind? Yeah, you know, I that that is because I think Ex Machina is a hundred times better than Annihilation. I really, I really liked Ex Machina. So, all right, so here's my update. I really liked Ex Machina too, and if you ask me right now, I would probably say Ex Machina is inches it out. Uh-huh. But I listened to Film Spotting talk about Annihilation. Mm-hmm. And Adam Kempinar made a interesting point where he said basically annihilation is about how humanity. He was like, "Ex Machina is how we are all coded to survive. That's our number one kind of setting, mm-hmm. and that's the setting of the AI in Ex Machina: survival over mm-hmm. all else." And in Annihilation, it's about how humanity is coded to self-destruct. And I actually think, as, as kind of obvious as that connection is, I think that that's right. And that made Annihilation get the extra half-star bump. Uh, so now it's up to four and a half stars. Mm-hmm. But do you uh, think that's just a, an effect of the time? That we're in right now like obviously everything is like like america at least culturally politically is in a bad spot no i actually think that that's like a fundamental core belief that i have <clears throat> you look at ancient mayan civilizations rome greece right but i mean what i mean is i feel like it probably resonates more now like if and if you had watched an annihilation when ex machina came out Whenever that was in, you know, 2014, maybe, would it have been as meaningful as it is now when we're in the midst of what appears to be a pretty significant (laughs) self-destruction? Well, no, because I I actually do think that's true. There's, you know, I've, I've had that idea, you know, I remember back in college, we had a, uh, a friend 
And it just seemed like they would make decisions based on self-destructive tendencies that didn't really seem to make sense. It kind of seemed like anytime something good was going on, they would kind of make a decision that would upset that. Um, and I remember them thinking like, what is that impulse? Mm-hmm. But I think more than being like, I don't understand what the impulse is. I did understand what it was. I do feel it myself too, where, you know, we make decisions that are, that don't make sense as humanity. I think we're basically absurd. <laughs> I mm-hmm. think that's the one way to explain humanity. <laughs> We don't make sense. And yeah, you look at great civilizations. It's not like Rome. Look at Italy. I'm kind of basing this off of last week tonight and some of the follow-up that I did. Mm -hmm. But they're about to elect a racist or re-elect Berlusconi, who is a pedophile. (laughs) These, These are their choices. Yeah. You know? And... I just feel like Rome, like this is where we've let you guys learned a heck of a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, as humanity, we're all still in the same stupid stew, you know, it's not like we've learned, we didn't invent money with the beginning of America and still people don't know, like, what's the best way to build a functioning society and use money. Mm -hmm. People still are like, I have no idea. So I don't know, man. I I don't think that we are designed to just build on our successes. I think think humanity is a cycle. And I think part of that cycle is we are hardwired to self-destruct. Nice Metallica reference. Thank you. Uh, okay. This... I always, if, if people go back and listen, they'll realize I slip in one Metallica reference right. every episode. Yeah. You're a big Metallica head. Exactly. <laughs> it's there. Go back and listen. Um, all right. The second follow-up I have is a quick one because I have not seen this movie. Uh, but after my battery after the battery on the uh, Switch died f- from playing Splatoon in handheld mode. Oh, uh, I, thought, I thought you were saying like your battery exploded. No, like it, no, no, Okay, no. it just... It ran out. It ran out, okay. Uh, during the Oscars, I was forced to then watch some of the Oscars. And I wanted to know <laughs> if the clips that I saw of Call Me By Your Name is that all representative of the actual movie? Um, I'm going to have to agree with Chris on it being pretentious and uh, bad. <laughs> they played the the piano scene. Yes, yes, the clip of him playing the piano, and then be like, "Well, Bach never played Bach, that." Huh? This is a. It's like, oh my! I was just like, I was just like, you know what? After that scene, so Elise wasn't big on Army Hammer. Uh-huh. And after I'd seen, I remember I turned to her and I said, is that why you're not big at Army Hammer? Because you didn't see it. But at one point, he kind of seems to storm out of the room. He's like, why would you play it like that? No, I saw and that. He storms that was part out. of the clip. That and you're just like, you're, you're like, man, tone it down. I don't know if the joke is here are two like bourgeois people who this is like how the elite argue about sports right exactly is like 
are you doing the Bach through? Yeah, exactly. You know, it was cringy. It was really bad. That that part is cringy. I have to say that is the only scene that is like that. Uh-huh. And even in the film, it it's totally inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And I think he is Timothy Chalamet. I think is trying to play it like a kid who's both trying to impress and uh just basically trying to show off in mm-hmm. front of this older guy. I think Army Hammer is doing something completely d- different. Uh and so no, that does not work. The film itself though, I would I I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. It was really good for me. Okay. And I wanted to run this by you. Julia said that some people were telling her that it was a good family movie. People said Call Me By Your Name is a good family movie. <laughs> That's what she was saying. <laughs> I don't know if that was on Facebook or what, but she said that to me, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that that is not right. I want to get the... I want to know who said... I need to know what people know. mean by family movie. Right. Do they mean like, we don't have kids. When I say family, I, I mean know. me and my husband or me and my well, wife. When I, or, when I hear family, I think of like a Disney movie. Right. If if I I wouldn't say, hey, call me by your name is streaming on Netflix in categories. Just go to children and family. It should be the first se- right. selection right there. Um, it's not. It's not. It's more suggestive than it is, you know, kind of uh, graphic mm-hmm. in in what it shows. Mm-hmm. But there's. Uh, but it, it goes there. Do you know about the infamous scene in it? No. Do you want to know about the infamous scene in not it? Not really. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, no, it's not a family movie. Okay. I wouldn't say. I didn't think so. Yeah. But it, it is good. What else? You, you said something that now made me think of something. Uh, call me by your name. Oh, somebody was saying that uh, Peter Stormare. You know, the guy in Fargo? Sure. He won $27,000 betting on the Oscars because Mm -hmm. he picked The Shape of Water months back. And they tweeted, like his tweet, or they, you know, they retweeted it. But I had to read it twice to get what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And I think what he said was, my eight-year-old loved Shape of Water. And based on her loving it so much, I picked it to win and bet a thousand dollars it would win, you know, mm-hmm. months ago. And I was like, eight year old Shape of Water. <laughs> you you haven't seen Shape of Water, right? No. One of the things that I and I really like the film, but one of the things that Del Toro really set about to do was to kind of depict sexuality as a real part of someone's life mm-hmm. in in a fairy tale and so you know part of what's set up right from the beginning is this female character part of her routine is to masturbate every single day in a bathtub and she has sex with the creature uh-huh and it shows you know nudity it shows you know kind of how it would work uh-huh and then there's violence in it, and a man gets his finger bit off. Uh-huh. I just remember thinking, like, 
your eight-year-old daughter? Like, should right. I pause at any point and be like, why did you let your eight-year-old daughter watch that? Or is that just like, hey, man, you know, it's a movie. I don't yeah. know. If your eight-year-old can handle it, go for it. Same thing with Game of Thrones. Like, I watched, uh, what's that um, football documentary on HBO before the NFL season? Mm-hmm. can't remember what it's called, but they followed. Is it called, like, Hard, hard Knocks? knocks. <clears throat> hard Knocks. <clears throat> yeah. There's a scene where this guy's, like, watching Game of Thrones with his wife. And they're like four-year-old daughters running in and out of the room and like playing right there. And they can't show a lot of the show because it's not theirs. But they're showing his reaction and he's like, oh, he cut his head off. And his four-year-old daughter's like pushing a popcorn popper like in front of him. I just remember thinking like, is this kind of like, this is is how it's done? Like, I don't know. Am Am I a square for being like my son's nine? You're not watching Game of Thrones. Yeah. And call me by your name. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm out of touch. Maybe call me by your name is up there with Coco as family (laughs) film of the year. Coco, you know, the one movie that my daughters don't like. They didn't like it and they refuse to watch it again. It seems like it's very sad. Is that why I'm like you or just because there's skeletons? I don't know, probably both, maybe. Mm-hmm. But Charlotte loves the soundtrack. She'll listen to the music all the time, but she has no interest in watching the movie again. Um, you had a, said you had a follow-up? Oh, it was just that Annihilation got the extra half-star bump. Oh, okay. Not bumped down. Like Um, <clears throat> so I watched the push. How much? Uh, all of it. Every single second, <laughs> even all the way to the end of the credits. Oh, because wow. they fly by so quick, you could tell how ashamed these people were of making this thing. <laughs> like, I don't want it my was name like on this. The, it was like the credits... You know how TV movies mm-hmm. end and then the credits like get squished and then they fly by real quick so they can get to the commercials or whatever? That's how these credits were on Netflix. But <clears throat> yeah, we my wife and I we tried to we tried to watch it uh well, we didn't try and watch it. I sort of like put it on as a goof on like Friday or Saturday, hoping it would be like we'll just get into this. But yeah, we watched it for like two minutes and we're just like we can't we can't do this like I, I would rather continue like our deep dive into the office we're like on like season six now we're just like okay just load up like episode 15 of season six and we'll just right sort you of even rewatch veg out to this. started from the beginning you know what <laughs> this is making us reset just to delay from having to see new things you just right. restart the office <laughs> exactly <laughs> Yeah, so... Is it like that all the way throughout? It never turns a corner and is like, ah, now we're saying something. Mm, well, I mean, what it what it's saying, it's pretty deliberate in what it's trying to say. I mean, and even at the end, he comes out, the guy comes out and says it or whatever. But it's basically like... 
I would like to know what, like, how this got made. Well, first of all, I think it's like a British thing. I don't think it was made for Netflix. Yeah, so, the, yeah, because this guy, the guy who made the push, also... He apparently, he, yeah, he does all these types of specials for the BBC. Right. He did, like, a zombie outbreak, apparently, and got someone to believe that a zombie outbreak happened. Yeah. And that's what he's known for. So okay. now, in this one, a guy, he's trying to get a guy to push somebody else he's to their He's trying death. to get someone to commit murder. And... My first thought was like, maybe this was like a Netflix executive just like greenlit a project, like a, a, a ancillary product uh, based purely on the title, Making a Murderer, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he was thinking, and this is what came out. But it, it ends up being kind of like uh, Joe Schmo meets Old Boy, right? It's like... <laughs> dystopian future level game show that you're watching basically um but the basic gist of it is yeah this guy darren brown is his name maybe he'd say they 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 get this whole elaborate thing in place and it's all about (coughs) they get this guy to the idea is what's he call it he calls it like compliance conditioning something like that mm-hmm. and so he's like through a series of small uh things we're going to make this guy like we're going to get this guy in our pocket or whatever and it's like <clears throat> so they uh so he starts off so basically the setup is they're at a charity auction right this guy is there with like the guy that's like organizing the charity auction and then the guy that's like co-running it or whatever. And uh, the first like compromise is he gets the guy, he convinced the Mark to put vegetarian flags into non-vegetarian hors d'oeuvres, right? That's his first compromise. And so you think like it's going to be this like gradual ramp up until he's and then the next presented with like murdering somebody, <laughs> but it's literally five minutes later he's hiding a dead body, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's forty minutes of them like weekend at Bernie style transporting a dead body around this place <laughs> and like and hiding it in different places. Is an actor pretending to be dead? So it's interesting that you ask that because. So what happens is they're like out on the floor, right? They're going through their plans or whatever. And then the guy has a heart attack, right? The old the old uh, guy that's running the charity has a heart attack. The co-runner sends the mark to go get his medicine. While he's getting the medicine, they switch the body with a fake body. So the actor, like, they drag this fake body out. The actor runs away. Fake body, fake body, not Like corpse. a straight-up fake body. Okay, so not, not corpse. Right. Okay. Um, and it Cowards. doesn't explain this at first, right? Mm-hmm. It just, you're following the guy, and, and, and you get this explained to you later. But you can tell something is obviously off about the body, right? It looks, like, not completely different, but it looks different. Um, so, so yeah, they switch the body. He's dead. 
And then the guy's justification is like, listen, this is a big charity thing. We can't just cancel it an hour before it's supposed to happen. We'll just put the body in this box <laughs> and then we'll take care of it afterwards. And we'll auction the box off. Well, that actually happens, right? <laughs> oh, <shut laughs> yeah. So then it's like, so then the the auction starts. This Mark guy has to pretend to be the char- the charity runner because nobody knows what he looks like. And of course, it puts him in a situation to where, like, now he has to give a speech, right? Now he has to like improvise and do all this stuff. And then once the auction starts, is the auctioneer's like, "Okay, our first auction up is for this m- giant mystery box in the back. No one knows what it is." And of course, it's the box that has the dead body in it. <laughs> so they bring that up. Whatever they they go through all that stuff. Uh, right. It gets to a point to where. They're they're literally wheeling around this dead body into the around the place with like sunglasses on, so nobody can look into his eyes or whatever. Oh my! <clears throat> it gets to a point to where they decide they're just going to go with this idea that he had a heart attack and fell down the stairs, and they're just going to leave the body at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> and then the guy is like, "But wait a minute." If he fell down the stairs, wouldn't he have, like, bruises on his body? <laughs> so the co-host is like, yeah, um, you're going to have to just kick him in the stomach. Just start kicking him in the stomach. <laughs> so the guy's like, uh, you know what, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kick him in the stomach. And then it cuts to Darren Brown, right? So throughout all of this, it's, like, cutting back to him in, like, the the whatever you want to call it the control room the control room and he's like as soon as it cuts to him he gives like this aside and he starts like explaining what's going on but it's like you can tell he is on the verge of cracking up every single time it cuts back to him but he's like he literally in all earnestness says well he just refused to kick the body in the stomach so that's not good (laughs) (laughs) Uh, back to the drawing board (laughs) so anyways the whole thing leads up to his wife shows up and his wife shows up and he's like, oh, hey, he left his pills at home. He has these like weird seizure things where if he doesn't take his pills, he just he dies, like, blacks out. And it's like he's dead, but he's not actually dead. And so then they're like looking at each other like, oh, wait a minute. He's not actually dead. So then they decide to confess to everything. Right. So they confess to everything that's going on. They're like, let's just walk in here. Because this is where we left his body at the bottom of the stairs. <laughs> and, of course, they open the door. He's not there, right? So they go to the last place where they think he was headed, which was to the roof for some reason. They go to the roof, and he's up there, and he's pissed, and he's cursing at them. He's like, you tried to kick me in the stomach. and blah, blah. And So, wait, he was just playing dead at that point? Right. No, he was like passed out because he didn't have his medicine but he could hear them saying that they were going to kick him in the stomach okay so so they go up there and then to calm himself down he sits on the ledge of the building and smokes a cigarette and as he's doing it all the other like co-runners of the charity are like listen this guy's a millionaire he's going to have us sent to prison for life because of what we did and they're like you were you were going to kick him in the stomach. You did this. And they start blaming this guy for all this stuff, right? And they're like, the only way out of this is to just give him a push. Just push him. Just push him over the edge, right? 
and they start. You have all the time you need to decide. Exactly. He'll stay up there smoking that cigarette <clears throat> for the next three hours if yeah. he needs to. <laughs> so they start doing this. They start using all their code words like uh, whatever it takes, right? So th- throughout the entire thing, they're doing like a Bioshock thing where they're like, whatever it takes. Before he does something he doesn't want to do, they say, you just whatever it takes, you got to do it, right? They start saying that, and it's like. And he's and he's and he's like doesn't want to do it. And he's not saying anything. He's starting to panic a little bit. And then the ultimatum that they give him is, "Listen, you got to do it right now, or you have to leave." <laughs> and so the guy's like, "Okay, I'll leave. I'm leaving. Okay, I'll leave." And he just walks out. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks into the guy, right? And he's like, oh, you made the right decision, blah, blah, blah. But here's the twist. The twist is not that he didn't kill the guy. The twist is that they did this experiment with four other people. And all four other people decided to push the guy off the building. <laughs> so it runs through all of their decisions. All four of these other people kicked the dead body in the stomach. All four of them walked up and were like panicking and then just shoved an old man off of a building. <laughs> it's so insane. But here's the thing, because you texted me and I was like, do you think it could all be fake? And this is the thing that I, this was the first thing that I thought after it ended. My first thought was, is this what British people watch on television? <laughs> because all of the people that pushed him off the building seemed to realize, like, as soon as they saw the guy, it was like a candid camera moment. And they were like throwing their hands up and they're like, oh, you got me. You know what I mean? Right. And it was like, and he was like, listen, you made the wrong decision now, but this decision doesn't define you and blah, 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 blah. And it just goes to show you how whatever, you know what I mean? It was like. Did, did anybody like cry? Was anybody yeah, like. Yeah, there were some women that cried. Yeah. Like, I am so sorry. Or yeah, they no, just like- <laughs> they did not seem like they seemed a little shaken up, but they were like. Once they saw the guy, they were just like, oh, we know what this is, right? right? Just a big prank. Which makes me think, like, this is, like, dark, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying, I was trying to think of, like, what's the difference between this and the Joe Schmo show? Because the first season of the Joe Schmo show is a masterpiece. <laughs> yes. It is wonderful, right? But it is the same sort of thing where it's like everyone is in on this joke against this one guy. and it's seems a little mean-spirited. I think the different, the biggest difference for me is that <clears throat> in the Joe Schmo show, you're watching this guy, and he's, like, having fun, right? He's, like, having a good time. He's oh, a one of the genuinely he's great the guy. He's time of his life. Yeah. Yes. So it's, like, so I'm thinking, like, like, the ultimate, like, first of all, you know, you kind of know that he's not going to kill this guy, right? Because I feel like... The only other way that turns out, which obviously I was proven wrong by the end of it because they did it with a bunch of other people who did push the guy off the building. But I feel like this, the only way this happens is if you get someone that doesn't push him off the building, right? But then the alternative is like a headline that says like, man arrested for attempted murder while unknowingly filming a Netflix special. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was just... Oh man, that's like... I don't know, man. I I do wonder on that. There's no way that you 
thought through all the um, implications of that. You know, how would you overcome that? Like if I, I put myself in those shoes, how could you not look at me differently knowing that I, in a ridiculous situation where none of it really made sense, which I think makes it worse, mm-hmm. that I pushed yeah. an old man off of a... That's not even like... It doesn't, again, it doesn't, the, the, the threat against me is not tangible. Right. It's an old rich man who, what, was in a semi-coma and heard me refuse to kick him in the stomach. And so I'm going to hide it. Well, hide his dead body, hide his dead body. But so he's just, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. Like, and there's also, there's obviously the whole, first of all, the show's called the push, right? The entire, uh, the entire buildup is to him pushing the guy off the building. Mm -hmm. And obviously he doesn't know any of this, right? We know this because we're watching it. The charity is called push. Yeah. <laughs> the they get celebrities, British celebrities, which also made me think of like how like hollow and cheap actors are <laughs> because they're signing up to do this stuff which which I'm also reminded of like whenever um the Silicon Valley guy does like the Verizon commercials, you know what I mean? Right. Thomas Middleditch. Yeah. But and they're all like and like I said, there's the they do the whatever it takes, you know, whatever it takes. That's the code word or whatever. But How, how's the acting? That's the other thing too. do. Do the people yeah, sell? The, yeah. The situation. The acting is fine. OK. Until you get to the old man yelling on the roof. Right. He was really bad. Oh, and so about the body. So then, like I said, you're watching like the thing is like an hour long. 40 minutes of that is literally them moving a dead body around this building right at at one point they decide to sit it on the couch in the lobby while they bring a car around and what happens when it's on the couch (laughs) two drunk guys show up and want to take selfies with the dead body right because they think it's just another drunk guy passed out at which point they literally take the body's hand and start like jerking off the jerking off motion it just is so stupid but anyways, in the middle of the 40-minute uh, Weekend at Bernie's uh, riff, you get this bizarre cut to a special effects studio where they walk you through the process of making this dead body of the like months-long painstaking process of making this dead body. So that's what it was. Apparently, like mm. you could even like feel bones in it, and it was like all this stuff. And like I said, it did look really good. But as soon as you saw this body, you knew something was off. Yeah. Well, so it's like it, it's he's dead. dead. <clears throat> yeah. Well, that's yeah. No, you, I was thinking that you. same thing too because dead bodies look weird, yeah. right? They do look yeah. weird. Um, but also, like I think it's a good. It is a good point. It's like. What would I believe in that situation? Because obviously we know it's fake going into it. We know everything is fake. But, you know, not go, not knowing that, I don't know what I would believe. You know what I mean? I would like to I'm, – I'm pretty certain I would not agree to hide a dead body. body yeah. Especially if the guy just had a heart attack. You know what I mean? It's not like I didn't cause it. I yeah. played no part in this. I'm not then going to hide the body. But – I mean, who knows? They got five people to agree to hide the body with pretty much little Nothing. to no convincing at all. Yeah. 
how did they pick these people? Did they go into that? Yeah. So, so he did. Uh, they did like a casting call. Yeah. For some unrelated thing. Already, your your whole kind of uh, uh, experiment is skewed. Anybody who responds to a casting call, well, is is already, I think, kind of saying like, "Hey, I need, I need something, right?" And I'll do, I'll do, I'll do some stuff. Yeah. So they did a casting call, and for something unrelated and not real, obviously. And as the part of the casting call, the the people who responded entered into a room with three actors who they thought were other people there for the casting call. And what these three actors were doing is they were in a room with like 10 chairs in a row. Right. And they were reading the script. And as they're reading in this room, a bell would ding. And every time the bell would ding, they would sit down. If they're sitting down, the bell would ding, they would stand up. Right. So they would alternate. And so the way they picked the people is they would they pick the people who walked into the room and would follow suit with the people who were sitting and standing with the bell without having to receive any directions, basically. And they pick those people and then they were like eventually they were just like, hey, this thing's not going through. Thanks for uh thanks for working with thanks for your time or whatever. And then like a couple months go by and um they they called them back for so they called they he he contacted them like through a third party for something completely unrelated right it wasn't like the same people or whatever so that's how they found them um and i don't know what it's supposed to teach you about humanity or or about yourself <laughs> but what it taught me is that if i am exercising i can watch literally anything right <laughs> If I, as long as I just if you give me something that, you know, is going to be hard to get through as long as I'm exercising, I can uh, I will watch it from top to bottom. Uh, this doesn't really relate, but. This week, I've just been encountering really dumb stuff. I've talked off podcast with you about some of the things that I've encountered sure. that people have said and shared on Facebook mainly. But I saw somebody post this uh, quote. It's a sign uh, on like a high school. So it's like on the side of like the athletic shed Mm -hmm. outside of a baseball field or whatever. It says, quote, uncoachable kids become unemployable adults. Let your kids get used to someone being tough on them. It's life. Get over it. Close quote. Mm Mm-hmm. After the quotes, three exclamation marks. <laughs> All I did was I posted, that's dumb. And the person who posted it posted like a gif of like a, just a K. Like I'm like, okay. Uh-huh. I'm like, is that quote attributed to the three exclamation marks? It sounds like something three exclamation marks right. would say. <laughs> and they were like, oh yeah, good point. But also that sentiment, like follow this logic, uncoachable kids become unemployable adults. Mm. So automatically, every coach is a perfect rubric to kind of judge who is and who is not 
<clears throat> employable. Yeah. Uh, let your kids get used to someone being tough on them. It's life. Get over it. This idea, again, like what you're saying with like the standing up, sitting down. To me, it's like coachable kids are probably sheep who will push an old man off of a building <laughs> if it at all preserves their own sense of identity. Sure. You know, like it's like, no, I'd rather have my kid be like, you know, the kid who questions the coach on why they need to do something mm-hmm. has a mind of his own. Right. And who cares if he's employable? Yeah. I, I just don't understand why that kind of basic, you know, A to B logic t- just takes off in the minds of people. Like, yeah, kid, you need to go out to college, you know, go out for sports. Yeah. So you'll be successful. It's like, no, yeah, go out for the sports team so you can get arrested for hazing and killing yeah. somebody yeah. in college. Well, yeah, it's like the ultimate appeal to like the idea of like uh, the hardworking American. You know what I mean? Like the like it's like an uh, an appeal to authority. It's just like an appeal to like corporations, basically. Like that, your ultimate purpose is to serve fifty years of your life to Walmart or whoever. You know what I mean? Like somehow, like that. (laughs) <laughs> that's like the sort of like the bootstrap mentality that I, that I feel like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's like y- you have to fall in line, right? Like your ultimate worth is centered around how well you can work in a system. Yeah. Right. Like how good of a cog you are basically. I don't know. It's dumb. It's so dumb. And it doesn't even make, it makes, it doesn't make any sense. You know? So many times I look back, I was like, even in the sport I was playing, what they had me doing was stupid. They've outlawed suicides because mm. they're like harmful yeah. <laughs> to people's health. Yeah. But in, and you know, it's just like the coach thinks that it's like instilling some value in you to be like, all right, run these until one of you passes out and then someone else throws up. Then right. I'll know that you guys are trying. Then we'll run one more. Yeah. Because then that's where your character, ca- you know, whatever. It's, it's just like mindless, yeah, stupid exactly. kind of like connection of like, if you run be- after you throw up, you're, you're a man yeah. you know, or something. It's just so ridiculous. Um, but that was shared by a father of two. So. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm sure those kids are uh, headed for a really well, good. They'll, they'll be coachable, if nothing they'll else. Be coachable, <laughs> and therefore employable, right? Because <laughs> they will literally do whatever you tell them. Hey, uh, I want you to go lift those pallets of, uh, you know, 500 pound supplies yeah, onto exactly. a shelf, uh, and the the machine we have to lift is broken. Just use your back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Five years later, I got really bad back problems and Walmart fired me. Right, exactly. <laughs> but at least I did what they told me to. Yeah. So, uh... 
Well, I wish I knew her name because I feel bad. Michelle McNamara. Okay. So Michelle McNamara, who was a true crime author, she wrote this uh, article that you sent me about the Golden Gate Killer. And its main focus is obviously this serial killer, but it's also kind of focused around the culture, around uh, investigating these things and what it does to the investigators and the community that builds up around it and stuff like that. Yeah, and kind of the the home sleuths. Yeah. The the internet uh, layman Mm -hmm. detectives too. And... What got me interested in reading it first, uh, her book just came out. So she was married to Patton Oswalt right. and died uh, and but before her book was completed. And then I think he completed it with some help and it just got published. And so I was wondering if I should read it. And I, I hadn't read her stuff before, so I decided to, to read and what she'd written before. And the whole mm. book is about the Golden Gate Killer. So, Oh, is it? Yeah, this article was written 2012 or 2013. 13, yeah. And so here we are like five years later and she's still, which now makes me want to read the book because I think it's, a, it's even more about that. Because mm-hmm. in the article, she kind of talks about this community, this message board community that came up around this, invest, this cold case investigation because the Golden Gate Killer was active in like the mid to late 70s through i saw somewhere where they're like his last phone call that they think is attributed to him was like 2001 mm-hmm. but i think his last murder was in the 80s yeah and so it was cold but she got obsessed and there's a guy in florida who was on the message boards a lot and had done a lot of work on on the case had like a suspect list and was throwing out some theories. And he said, he was like, if I'm doing this in a year, I'm going to feel like, yeah, uh, I've wasted, you mm-hmm. know, some time or whatever. And at the time that she wrote the article, she was like, that was a year and a half ago. So, right. he, and he's still going strong. <laughs> yeah. And so it kind of got me thinking about, you know, kind of what we were talking about before too, when we, we talked about you selling the Xbox and, you know, this kind of obsession versus a a passion and what is constructive and what is destructive. And then also got me thinking about like, what is our <clears throat> connection to true crime? I am, I'm probably obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. You know, there was an Audible series called West Cork. When that was released, I listened to all of that. I've listened to all of Serial. I've listened to a podcast called Accused. I listened to, you know, we got, I got in a little bit into Sword and Scale until I realized that that podcast and guy has zero morals. <laughs> and so I, I stopped that. But, you know, I do have this kind of attraction to true crime. But the attraction is hard to justify in any kind of positive terms. It mm-hmm. is kind of... You're either, you know, obsessing over the misery of somebody else. Right. Or you're just indulging in the darkness of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so it got me thinking too, like, not just about uh, obsession and passion, but also what we get obsessed and passionate about. And 
what if that thing is, you know, her article too, that, that we read, it kind of ends on this kind of note where she's like, I hold my daughter and don't really have to wonder what it would be like for, you know, me to be harassed by a guy like this because I feel like I already am mm-hmm. just because of her level of obsession right. in it. Yeah. Uh, cause he, he's never been identified, never caught. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a bunch of those things swirling around. I don't know if you wanted to like, I kind of wrote some questions out I had if we wanted to format it or if you just wanted to attack it where on whatever level that you wanted to uh, call that. <laughs> well, she had a, uh, um, there was one paragraph, maybe two in the article that summed up my attraction to it. And it's purely around the... And for me, it's around the mystery, right? So I, I had a similar thing where I was like, I guess maybe it was around the time that Serial came out. And then it was like, oh, let me just gobble up as many true crime podcasts as I can. But for me, it, it gets dark. It gets real dark real quick. And I can't do that. I can't listen to Sword and Scales, probably the epitome of this, where it just is like, hey, here's a, a true, here's a murder case, and I'm going to give you all the details here's of it. Here's the 911 call. Right. I'm going to play you audio from it, and but you know what I mean? And I realize that I don't like that stuff. I no. don't like true crime uh what I like is unsolved mm-hmm. uh, murders, basically, or unsolved true, unsolved mysteries. Right? That's that's what gets me. That's what can obsess me. Like the staircase is yeah. probably the best true crime series, and that's all you know. You just don't know who or what happened. Uh, serials, the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the huge documentary on OJ Simpson, even the American crime story series, yeah. but, but the actual documentary that was on ESPN and then on right. Netflix for a while. Yeah. Try, that yeah. Was great. That is, that's great. Yeah. So for me, it's the mystery. It's not knowing, not having an answer, right? Like the details of stuff don't interest me. Even the details that she goes in in this story about about how we what he did to people, and it's like, I mean, I understand that stuff has to be there, but to me, ultimately, all I want to know is who did this, mm-hmm. right? And I don't even really care why they did it because, in some sense, you already know they're just weirdos, right? I just want to know who did it, how did they get caught, did they get caught? You know what I mean? Zodiac is another great example, the book and the movie. Uh, yeah, so for me, it's just the mystery. I, I can't take, like, I, I just can't take, like, the, the details. I, I have, especially uh, as a father now with, yeah. with daughters, I just can't do it. I, I can't listen to it. Um, but if there's, like, a good mystery involved, I am definitely a sucker for that. Yeah, I think to me it it goes back to almost like a puzzle challenge, you know? It's almost like uh I I don't want to diminish it because it is 
to, to me, the troubling thing is that it's real people suffering that you are taking some enjoyment out of, you know, mining. Yeah. And that to me can't help, but feel exploitative and, and does not feel good at the same time for me, there is an element like, you know, you also shared a podcast from Kotaku about like the secret hunters of destiny that I listened to. And there are these people who just will play Dest. That's it. They work, they mm-hmm. play Destiny, and they try and find all these secrets. And they are just driven to find answers to some questions they don't even know, right? Some of these yeah. things are found purely by accident and just devoting their life to finding these secrets. Um I think there's a part of that that is kind of inherent in humanity. So making these grand statements about humanity, how we're kind of like hardwired to self-destruct. And then I think we're we're also kind of hardwired to explore mystery. And uh, that is something that fascinates me when you're presented with these clues and then trying to piece it together to come to the ultimate solution. Mm -hmm. And I hate the fact that I think with true crime, it heightens the stakes. And that's why if I'm just honest, that's what like thrills me is Mm -hmm. you're dealing with life and death. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, what, yeah. That's what I was trying to figure out for myself too at first is, is it is it the fact that you're dealing with sort of the ultimate consequence here? Right. That someone is dying. But then I realized as soon as you take away the mystery aspect of it, I'm just not I'm not interested. Oh, I, I don't want to hear about how some guy killed himself and his family. You know what I mean? I just am not interested. I want the the mystery is what pulls me in. I am not interested in we we are interviewing Charles Manson. Yeah. Don't care. Ted Bundy, don't care. Right. When Gacy, you know, once they're caught, I don't see the value in me indulging their perspective. Yeah. Again, because I think you kind of touched on it. Their perspective a lot of times is like, we are psychopaths. You know, right. we, we have no further, an- like, <laughs> we were driven. We have no further answers right. to, There's to these things. nothing deeper here. These people are just crazy. They're just crazy. Yeah. There, there's just nothing there. So I think there's that element to it. But I think that uh, the mystery presented by somebody who, you know, this is the other thing I was thinking about. So one thing that I think we're all driven by are answers. And it's enough. The human drive for answers is enough for people to accept cults to accept yeah. anybody who says like i have i have the answer i have an answer you're going to get a following doesn't even matter what your answer is you know um and when you're dealing on the extreme to me it wonders if what we're looking for is some insight and a serial killer is operating on the fringes of society or human experience Mm -hmm. and you almost want to believe which is why i think it's so easy 
around murderers to see like satanic influence mm-hmm. and spirituality and you see hysteria surround these people so you have like the um oh shoot what was the documentary series the 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 three guys were just released a few years ago oh, uh, paradise west lost memphis three yeah the west memphis three where you have a murder and then immediately you have these like normal everyday people entertaining this idea of like there are satanists living just <laughs> down the street from you you know and there's a cabal and there's a, all this stuff right and people are more apt to believe that around murders and serial yeah. killers because i think they're hoping like with the zodiac he has this like cipher and these clues it makes you i think feel like or i wonder if people feel like they have an answer mm-hmm. Maybe not the right answer, but they can maybe prove the existence of Satan, if nothing else. Like, if we capture them and decipher the clues, all of a sudden, we have, like, there's the devil. Like, we found him. So, whether it's, like, this boy died and went to heaven and came back to life and read this book. Like, there's one extreme of people trying to prove that, like, heaven exists like any means necessary any positive experience mm-hmm. and on the other side it's like hey if we can't prove heaven exists well maybe we can prove satan exists and hell exists so let's like you know go this way with it and kind of get obsessed with serial killers or maybe they have an answer you know yeah. does, does that make sense that's one thing that i was thinking about I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I can't put too much into it because I, the grisly aspects of it is just too much for me. I just can't, I just can't take it. Yeah. And like I said, if the mystery is not there, I'm not interested. That is why for me, Zodiac is the, just the greatest true yeah. crime book and movie because it does, the movie does such a great job of representing what I feel like is my, my, uh, my level of engagement with the material, right? Mm-hmm. It does such a good job of just being like, of, of sort of displaying the, uh, the way you can get sucked into it and like diving into all this stuff, even to the point to where you're like in the middle of something that, might be really bad and you're like wait a minute how how did i get here why am i here why am i spending so much time on this but it also like wraps it up in a way that's like i don't know i feel like it exits in a way that can that mirrors the way you could get out of something you know what i mean or the way mm-hmm. i get out of something where it's like okay i finished this and i feel like i have a pretty good idea of what happened here but yeah. I don't know definitively. Right. You know what I mean? And the book obviously is great. That's what it's based off of. Right. No, I think I think I, I agree in terms of true crime. I don't think that there's well, I, I would say the Zodiac Killer and then uh um Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Which I think brings on this other kind of like um horror story element because you're so far removed Mm -hmm. zodiac killer you know my parents were alive yeah 
during it. They could tell me exactly what it was like to live through that or people in the area, you know, yeah. um, have clear memories. And so I think that it's harder to kind of turn that into a uh, uh, almost like a thrilling ghost story, you know, based on fact. But Jack the Ripper, enough time has passed that you can, you know, kind of give that story more of a of a thrilling uh, feel to it. Like, I'm not thrilled by the Zodiac Killer, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm not thrilled by elements of his story. I'm more horrified by them. And the fact that he was never caught and fascinated yeah. Yeah. by the details because he was somebody who was reaching out, you know, right. and engaging with police and taunting them. And that is just inherently intriguing right. and, and uh, will we'll stick with you as a mystery. But there's no kind of uh, like Jaws, this kind of sense of dread. But, you know, Jack the Ripper, I can read from hell, you know, Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. which is a f- like historical fictional take where he actually puts forward his theory um, and be kind of thrilled and engaged by, by that. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's more because I'm so far removed from that. Right. You know, we're hundreds of years uh, from that experience. So, you know, I don't know. I think, I think for me, the, the thrill of true crime is like you said, more in the mystery than in the details. Right. Uh, but I think that there is a thrill of that, but it has to be removed by, by time or in some ways kind of embellished in through storytelling for it to have any resonance as a, as a thrill. Mm-hmm. I'm not thrilled. You know what I mean? Like, were you ever thrilled in, in serial even like listening to, would you say that that was thrilling or more just like engaging and intellectually, uh, stimulating? Uh, yeah, I would, yeah, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, when you say thrilling, I think of like when, like with, uh, super dark times where it's like, like I said, like he's getting ready to walk into a house and you don't know who is in that house. Right. And my heart is racing. That's what I think of when I think of thrilling. Right. Uh, Or, or even like, uh, in, uh, Zodiac when he's in the guy's basement. And my heart is racing. That I think of that as thrilling. But like listening to no serial, yeah, serial was just all about like was all was all mystery, right? It's yeah. like who who is this guy telling the truth? But to the question of when what is the difference between constructive and destructive, or when does one become the other? Yeah. I would say, I mean, to me, I guess this is maybe just a little definitional. I say it becomes destructive when it starts taking something away, right, from your life. Like, destiny at one point was a good outlet for me. It was a good hobby, something for me to do to, like, relax. But eventually it got to a point to where I was sacrificing everything else to play destiny which is obviously not good. And even, you know, and that, I guess it starts somewhere. So if it's 10 minutes of playing with my kids, then that is when it becomes destructive. And, you know, that's, she talks about that uh, McNamara in the article where, like you said at the very end, but she hints at it throughout where it's like, 
this and it's like I said again it's in zodiac right we start to see this it starts to just consume all of your intent all of your attention you you can't think about anything else you can't focus on anything else and obviously i've never been there with like investigating a murder yeah but i have been there with a game like destiny is there any um because i'm trying to think of the value of true crime and i do think that there is value in it but would you say so let's say i don't know if julia how she feels about true crime stuff Mm -hmm. but let's say she uh had a worldview that completely blotted out any kind of recognition of true crime in the sense that like there are serial killers that you know prey on unsuspecting people and that that is a reality Mm-hmm. where they are just like no i don't even want that in my life in any way shape or form would you see that worldview as perhaps kind of being um being strengthened by having that person at least acknowledge that that reality or do you think that like truly if somebody wanted to cut true crime and the realities of of you know of these cases in the world, mm-hmm. do you think they would be like hurt at all in terms of their own worldview or how they were if they just approaching it like out. raising kids? Yeah. If they were like, I don't I think like to think about it. I don't even want to think healthier to not have it in your life at all, at all. Hmm. Uh, I was, I think it may have been the Patreon episode, but Patton Oswalt was just on Chapo mm-hmm. and I think it was the Patreon episode maybe. Yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about, so he's talking about this art, the book and, and whatever. But he brought up the point that um, historically speaking, we live in the safest our country yeah. has ever been. Uh, like this, historically speaking, like this is what we've been working towards the, our entire the entire lifespan of the country, right, is mm-hmm. record low crime rates and all this stuff. And yet, uh, our kids spend more time indoors under surveillance or Strict whatever than, yeah. than they ever have. And I, I think it's, it's pretty easy to say that it, that is purely because of paranoia, right? Especially when you consider, like, the level at which these bad things could happen or have never been lower. Right. But it's like, I I think about this, especially with the girls and I'm sure you think about this all the time with Indiana, but it's like when I was Indiana's eight, right? Nine, nine. When I was eight or nine years old, I was on Saturday and Sunday. I was, I was outside of my house, not by my parents eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. I was not ever home. I was riding my bike through the neighborhood. I was playing basketball at, ba- at neighborhood uh, courts. You know what I mean? And it's like, I took the girls to Mount Trashmore today. We were there for like two hours. I never once 
let them leave my eyes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I couldn't even sit down on a bench by the playground knowing that they would stay on the playground and run around. I had to circle the playground the entire time mm-hmm. because I'm just thinking. And, and during that time, Charlotte somehow disappears for like 30 seconds because they're playing hide and seek. And immediately my heart dropped. And I was like, where did she go? Where is she at? What's going on? My daughter's gone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that is probably, and that's a two was one of the reasons I had to stop listening to true crime. And I think it, maybe it was even a sword and scale episode. So this was years ago where he's talking about just some guy in college who just went to a, a like a girl's dorm that he had a crush on and just snuck in and just killed her just randomly. You know what I mean? It's just like, I can't, I can't take this anymore. I can't. (laughs) And it's like, yeah. And I think on one hand you can be like, it's good to be aware of that. But at the same time, it's like, at least statistically speaking, that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, obviously it's a terrible thing that's happened to that family. And I'm not trying to discount that or whatever, but it's like to, to, to sort of base your life around that, I feel like is do is not doing any good. It's doing a lot of harm. And it would probably be better to just not have that any level of that paranoia at all. Yeah, I think I agree with paranoia, but I don't know that recognition or I should say awareness is or or maybe is is it possible to be aware of it but not be not paranoid, paranoid about it? I, you know, I, that's, that to me is something that I would strive to instill. In my I don't own think life. it's possible. <laughs> I, you know, I think that I'm too far. Uh, I think it, but I think the stakes are so high well, that, well, that it's yeah. just impossible to not be paranoid about. Well, it. yeah, that, that, that's the thing. But I, I don't know that there aren't equal dangers in somebody who literally has no room in their worldview for a negative reality mm-hmm. that literally lives in a world where it's like, well, I just don't listen to any of that stuff. I don't, I don't have time for it. Yeah. Where it's like, well, I mean, that's, that is life. Like, you know what I mean? Like it may not happen to you, but it does happen. And I think that it's worth living with the reality of sure. You know, but I'm not talking about just denying that it happens. I'm just saying not, not getting paranoid. Yeah. Well, no, just not like consuming it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's denying that it happens. You're just not, I'm just not seeking it out. So I guess, I guess this kind of goes to, to one connected level, which is, um, and I think this is something that we disagree about, um, which is a lot of people look at serial killers and they see uh, evil. Where, where somebody will say, you know, evil exists because of Hitler, because mm-hmm. of serial killers. Um, and so I think to me, that's one thing in terms of uh, that I find value in because I do believe in evil, mm-hmm. that I want my worldview to account for that. I don't want, because I don't think that we can ever rise above the influences that would lead us to have Hitler's and 
serial killers. I don't yeah, know that. I agree with that. But I think that, so, yeah, so I guess that that's one thing where my, my value in true crime or whatever is also more hitting a philosophical level of an understanding of evil. The, the the force is at work, you know, See, in this that's world. that's where I disagree. Right. So, so I kind of I think labeling here. it as evil puts it, at least in people's minds, as this sort of supernatural force that's kind of uncontrollable. I don't believe in that. I, mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I would, I understand that, like, yeah, like things are going to go wrong. But I see that as all just part of like human nature. I don't see it as this sort of like supernatural, uncontrollable, like this person's just been infected with something. And you know what I'm saying? And I I feel like I I know that's not what you're saying, but I feel like that's the connotation that it brings. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I just I feel like for me, it's it, it is more of I probably will say it's more of what you what you said before. I would almost say like it is a it is a force. I don't know like I have no personification for it. Um I have no kind of origin story for it. Mm-hmm. Like whether you just believe in like yin and yang, like because there is daylight, there is darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, those two things have to exist based on each other, mm-hmm. you know? Um and like, like there has to be a contrast. So I do think that that is, I keep going back to it and I've talked about it endlessly. And I hate the fact that my whole worldview can be summed up in a film. <laughs> but it is kind of like No Country for Old Men uh-huh. where, you know, whether you believe it's a force or not, it's best understood. Like, I think it's a perfect metaphor to see it as Anton Chigurh. Mm-hmm. as just this unleashed i i think the cone brothers i i would probably just basing on their films because you have in raising arizona too that biker that's just coming towards mm-hmm. uh nicholas cage in that right film. and uh I, I just i that to me lines up with my worldview mm-hmm. and i just think that for me it's instructive to have an understanding that somewhere out there, there's a force at work in this world that has, as its intention, destruction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that that will never be overcome. I think that's the other piece to it. Like we as humanity will never overcome that. We could have, we could re like create the Garden of Eden. And probably within one generation, we're going to have somebody who's like, this should be my garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why, why, am, why are there so many people in my garden? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's, that's the nature of who we are. Where does it come from? You know? Yeah. I don't know. I think it just, I think it's is detrimental, especially when it comes to raising a child. Like thinking about the pro just the prospect of Sophia and Charlotte playing outside of the house with no adults around. The first thing I think of is Terrified. they're going, someone's going to kidnap them. They're going to fall in the lake. 
they're going to do, you know what I mean? And it's like, I, the first thing my mind jumps to is all of these terrible true crime stories that I've listened to or watched or whatever. And it's like, and this may be totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure I heard this or read this somewhere that statistically speaking, your child has a larger, has a better chance of being struck by lightning than they do getting kidnapped in America. Mm -hmm. But it's like, still, that is the first thing I think of as soon as I can't see my child outside. I think the, in the first split second thing I think of is someone's taking her. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's a good thing. And I think there is a way to be aware that those things happen while also not having that be like my default response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I guess I wanted to, to maybe be clear too. I don't think that there is, I think that there is a danger in, all right, I, I might regret saying this. Okay. <laughs> this is something that, that, that needs a, a delicate touch, and I don't know that I'm going to, to, uh-huh. to strike it. So please, I'm either going to need you to agree with me wholeheartedly to make okay. me feel better, or please critique me okay. so I can, I can clear this up. <sighs> I don't even know if... Okay, I'm going to say it because that's the nature of this podcast. Sure. Right? The one of the uh cause celebrities, uh, of you already lost me. <laughs> one of one one of the uh major issues that gets traction that I see, uh-huh. especially on social media, and that is very big right now, is human trafficking. Mm-hmm. I am a hundred percent against human trafficking. Yeah. <laughs> Dare I say I'm 110% uh-huh. against human trafficking. Right. Some of the things that I get, sh- that get shared when I look down at the link that's being shared, it is like, you know, uh, Mary Sue dot Tumblr dot America dot, you know, right. Children forever slash org or whatever. And it just to me feels like this report seems a little sketchy and I don't know that, uh, that it's valuable to like share this outside of the context of wherever this happened mm-hmm. uh, because like we are not Thailand or wherever, you know, right. now human trafficking is, is terrible and at work in America. Yeah. I fully believe that, but that is one example of going to what you, what, what you're saying. Right. Exactly. Where I just feel like, Maybe let's get some perspective on the human trafficking. Thing. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I. Oh, agree. is that okay? no? I, okay. I, I agree. I agree. And I'm I sweating. actually, <clears throat> this happened a while ago, a couple years ago, a bunch of years ago, 
we went to a friend's, uh, uh, some mutual friends like organized the thing about human trafficking here. And Julia and I went, went to it. <clears throat> and we went to it just to support our friends. I did not think human trafficking was a huge deal in Virginia Beach. I thought you were going to say, like, I bought, I walked out with Tupperware, with a new <laughs> <Right>. Tupperware set. <laughs> and sure enough, like, the first thing that the, the police officer says, who's le- leading this thing, or who's, like, there is, like, he was invited or whatever to speak on it. He was, like, the first thing he says is, like, look, uh, human trafficking is not really a big deal in Virginia Beach, but this is definitely important. <laughs> and I'm sitting in my th- seat thinking to myself, Thank you. Thank you. I knew this is so overblown. I knew this was like, like, just like, like, it's just, like I said, it's just, it's like you get paranoid. Right. And I don't blame anybody because I'm the same way, but it's like, I don't think it's going to be helpful. You know, when I'm, when my daughters are 20 years, 21 years old and moving out of college or whatever, and I'm going to look back and think, man, for 15 years of my life I could not step away from them without thinking they were going to be taken by somebody yeah Yeah, and so I think and the reason why I say that is just to show the contrast of you know the uh, like I think that you can be aware of these things Mm -hmm. and not have to run to the paranoid idea I mean I'm fully aware and accept I think in in ways that you might feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I fully accept the the active work of evil in our world. Mm-hmm. That is not something that I deny. That's something that maybe I overindulge mm-hmm. whenever I'm engaging in true crime and stuff. And I can still walk up to the line and be like, "Yes, human trafficking," <laughs> but <laughs> you know what I mean. And and I so I think that there is. I don't think that we've struck the balance. But I still think the balance can be struck between somebody who can say, I, I have a place in my life for this, for these stories. I don't have to be obsessed with it. And it's yeah. a healthy, it's a healthy awareness, but then also I'm not going to be paranoid, but I agree with you. I'm, I'm totally not there. There have been times where I literally was like, I lost. And it happened the other day in a Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Barnes and Noble. And we're, in, we're towards the back of the store. It's not even like in the amount of time that I lost sight of him and I got scared. I literally could have looked to my left and seen a guy like running with my son. It's not like <laughs> it was so right. long that they were probably yeah, exactly. already in the car. Right. You know? And the fact that I didn't see anybody running or any commotion made yeah. me know like, oh, he's just if i just peek my head around sure enough there he is yeah so that's not healthy um and so i'm trying to find the balance and and i do i think it's instructive i have pulled back on the true crime podcasts Mm -hmm. i really got into it deep for a while where that was like all i was listening to yeah and i definitely have pulled back um i think because it started to to pollute my balanced understanding of my reality um but I think that I think that it probably goes more back to like a a basic desire in us to have answers and the fact that these questions deal with right big questions that's more enticing for me than destiny but it's interesting to see the people who are just playing destiny endlessly trying to find answers and the people who are on message boards 
to the early mornings of the night are kind of on the same spectrum. Yeah, and I think to to play on that comparison a little bit more, I think the difference is. I I I I there's a lot of similarities because because yes you to me the people who are still looking for secrets in the first destiny are lunatics yes (laughs) because obviously like it's Bungie's thing to be like ah we'll never tell you when you found everything right but I think you can reach and secretly they're like they found way more than we put exactly they found two hundred percent. Yeah, it's just like at the end of Zodiac where it's like, okay, obviously I don't know this for sure, but I have enough evidence to come to my own conclusion that this is it. You know what I mean? And that's the same thing. Like I was I was obviously never one of those people in Destiny that was like, I'm going to spend hours looking for a secret. I spent my hours in Destiny playing the game. And when somebody found one of those secrets, I was like, oh, okay, let me go do that. <laughs> yeah. And, but I did read about it on the subreddit and stuff uh, to the point to where I'm convinced, yeah, like you found everything. Like you may felt like there is that weird um, uh, secret in like Halo 3 or something that people just found a year ago or a couple years ago or something. But, it, but it, like that amounts to an Easter egg for somebody's birthday or whatever. It's just as like, <laughs> right. It's like, okay, I mean, whatever like that's not a huge yeah that's not like game changing you know what i mean it doesn't change the way you look at the game or play the game or whatever but i don't know i i just like with it with anything else with me it just it yeah it gets to for whatever reason true crime does scratch that same itch to where if i give into it i find myself yeah like i'll have 20 true crime podcasts to listen to yeah and it's like, I just can't, I can't, I, I, at some point I do reach it where it's like, okay, I can't, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, I don't know what I'm doing to myself here. And I just had to stop. And I was just looking now, I have zero, I listen yeah. to zero true crime podcasts. Yeah. I just can't do it. Oh, I maybe wanted to mention my list. Oh yeah. I think that's going to be my, my theme now. Sure. Every episode I'm going to do a list. So. Yeah. I kind of wrote down some of the best true crime uh, examples. Yeah. And this wasn't like exhaustive. These were kind of the main ones that came to mind. And I left off stuff like, like I guess an example of something that I don't really see as much value in my life is like Dear Zachary. Yeah. That, yeah, I was not a fan. Oh, even from the beginning? No, I didn't like it at all. Yeah, that to me, like Dear Zachary was a documentary uh, that started as a guy trying to make a testament about his friend Mm -hmm. who was a man who was killed by his significant other. Mm -hmm. And this guy was making it for his friend's son. Right. So his son would know who his father was. and it turned into something completely different. (laughs) And there's a part of it, which is like a 10 second guttural scream Mm -hmm. from the guy making the documentary that haunts me to this day. (laughs) And to me, it's just a raw kind of depiction of 
grief in a way that I don't know how he feels about it today. Like maybe it's cathartic, but I don't know that there's a lot of value from that document the way that it is Mm -hmm. for people watching it other than this kind of voyeuristic. Right. Exactly. Like there is something to be said about the story of that happened. Yeah. But I don't know if there's a lot because the story is happening in real time, basically. Yeah. uh, As he created it. So, but my list of just things I thought of uh, in cold blood, both the book and the film Mm -hmm. and the book, I think is kind of like the ultimate, uh, elevation of the of the medium to me um and the philip seymour hoffman movie capote Mm -hmm. has an interesting theory about truman capote and writing that book and what he had to do to get the detail he did Mm -hmm. which is basically like sell his soul uh to get this killer to trust him so that he could then write a more Mm -hmm. salacious book which also comes up in a lot of true crime, including, including right. um, the uh, what's what's his name, the guy who bought the sandwich and he confessed in the bathroom, muttering to himself. Oh, uh, Durst. Friends? Yes, <laughs> Durst. What was the documentary again? The Jinx. The Jinx. Which has that too. Yeah. Which I think is something else is, is not just as people who, who intake this stuff, but I think the questions are even more for the people who create this stuff. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's interesting to look back and see like just Truman Capote, uh, the jinx and the guys Mm -hmm. who made the jinx. Like a lot of times there is like, wait, what did you have to do to get this story? It's like, yeah, we had to do some morally uh, (laughs) questionable things. Uh, Devil in the white city. Uh huh. There's a book that I love. I think you you've read too. No, I haven't. You've I never could, read. I could never get through it. Why? Uh, it's boring. <laughs> I also have this thing that has developed over the years that I think it's um, probably mostly due to the invention of smartphones and having all of this uh, entertainment at your fingertips uh-huh. at any given moment. And it's especially flaring up now that I'm trying to read semiosis. But I have this weird condition where as soon as I start reading any book, I am asleep within five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Um, From Hell, I mentioned. Zodiac, the film and the book Mm -hmm. you mentioned. Uh, Green River Killer, mm-hmm. I think is really great yeah, graphic novel. Great. Now, at the end here, I kind of trailed off into more like historical fiction. And I almost wanted to create like a different section for this. But right. then I realized like all documentation is fiction mm-hmm. of some sort or another. Right. So there's Torso, uh, the album Nebraska mm-hmm. uh, by Bruce Springsteen and Badlands mm-hmm. by Terrence Malick. And it, it's instructive. I, I think what I realized too, however uncomfortable I am with true crime and my obsessive uh, 
intake of that stuff. I've never felt that way about fiction mm-hmm. that deals, whether it's true crime, like I mentioned, like the um, uh, Jack the Ripper stuff. I, I can't get enough of that. Mm-hmm. If there's a board game about Jack the Ripper, if there's a story about Jack the Ripper, like I'm, I'm in. Um, and Torso, Nebraska, and Badlands are more kind of fictional takes on some real things that happened, but filtered through an artistic lens and, and an approach. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that for me, that's, that's maybe a whole different conversation because I think the value of those are different. I think I get different things out of those than this weird voyeuristic thrill. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are <clears throat> some of the things that came to mind. Anything that came to your mind that we haven't mentioned? Uh, well, like I said, Zodiac is, I haven't read or seen In Cold Blood or Capote. Uh, but to me, Zodiac is the standard. Um, There's something, you know what we should do? We should do a full episode on Zodiac because I would love to, my approach would be, how does he walk the tightrope? Right. Of making this about more than the murders. Right. And it is, I think, like almost magical how well, he balances that narrative. Yeah. To me, Zodiac is so good, like I said, because it, I don't know if it explores it more than the actual murders itself. But it it gives at least equal time, if not more time, to the obsession behind it, towards tracking everything down, and that to me is was really what really drew me in. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like fictionalized, quote unquote, I would say Zodiac is is really good. If you're looking at like straight up like documentary stuff, I think Staircase uh-huh. is the standard there. Staircase is is great if mm-hmm. you haven't seen that. The Staircase is great, and then follow that up with the very first episode of Criminal. Yeah, it was like mind blowing. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there's an interesting difference between Zodiac and Badlands. And Badlands is a movie that I really like, that I loved. But looking back on it now, especially seeing like what true crime has become, I feel like maybe it romanticizes the story a little bit too much uh, to like a, a level of like irresponsibility. Because um, it makes Martin Sheen's character, he's like, like cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a story. It's more a story of, like, rebellious youth than it is a story of, like, serial killers. <laughs> yeah. Which is more or less what they were. Um, and so even though I like the movie a lot, it seems kind of irresponsible in hindsight. I, I wonder if that is a cultural read because yeah. we live in a world where I think those shootings, re- regardless of, of how safe our society is, there are too many mass shootings. Yeah. And there's something about, you know, looking back on Badlands, which is about kind of 
just out of school aged kids. I think she is probably still like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of spree. I think feels maybe a little weird. Yeah. Um, but but I think that he I think he, that's what he's trying to do. And I think he does a really good job of holding the balance of like um this this kind of uh nostalgic kind of um uh heightened perspective mm. on like like you said rebellious youth and stuff and uh a chilling tale of a of a killer yeah um i'm due for a rewatch on that too yeah and the i think the charm of his character could is probably part of the point too i mean it's part yeah. of the character right i, I think i think so it was well, just like the end of the uh effing world um book that kind of takes on the same thing. And I would actually encourage you to watch that a series too mm-hmm. on Netflix. Uh, but like Thin Blue Line is good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Paradise Lost series. Yeah, th- those are really Mainly good. the first film. Um, <laughs> what was the, the Andrew Jarecki? Didn't he do something before that that was kind of true crime that was Capturing good? the Freedmans. Yeah, Capturing which is, the Freedmans is if you want to call that good, I mean, it's yeah, crazy. It's, Jinx is really good for all the problems that it has. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot. It's like it's kind of a hard to do bad true crime. Yeah, because even like Dateline episodes are good. <laughs> yeah, are, you know yeah. I mean? Com- well, compelling, compelling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's hard. like I said, it's it's so easy to just reel you in. It, f- it feels like. Oh, can I get an update? I mean, I guess I I kind of got my update, but Semiosis is a book that uh, I'm 20 pages in. You're 20 pages That's in. That's it. And you've fallen asleep three Tw- times? Twice. Try, twice trying to twice. read it? Okay. Both in the same set, sitting. Sitting. So I don't know what it is. I mean, I know what it is. It's that I'm too easily distracted by other things around me, mm. which is just part of our culture now, I guess. But I have a hard time focusing. It's not even that it's bad. It's just it's literally as soon as I start reading something, I can get like into a, a page and a half, maybe two pages, and I'm like nodding off. <laughs> I'm. It's not even like let me put this down. It's like I'm reading and then I'm asleep. And then you're. And then I'm waking up. I'm like, wait a minute, where did I stop reading this at? And you're reading a physical copy or Kindle? Physical or copy. Physical copy. Is I it big? The book. I have. No, it's not big. That's the thing. It's like oh. 300 pages. It's not oh. even that big. So we'll see. It's good. Eventually I'll push through. I mean, if I read Spoiler The alert. Painter, I can Oh god. I can get through this. But Classic that was a episode. while ago. All right, that was a while ago. So <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I played Subsurface Circular mm-hmm. on the Switch. Um, you know, to me, I, I kind of read some glowing reviews and polygon and stuff. Right. And I think maybe my expectations were too high. Mm-hmm. It simply asks one question. Mm-hmm. It, would you choose a society? Would you push an old man off of a building? <laughs> <laughs> would you choose a society run by AI who could have more kind of moral clarity uh-huh. than humanity? Yes. But less kind of uh, 
understanding and nuance and all that? Or would you rather live with the messy humanity and uh, and not let you know intelligent AI control our society? Give me the robots. That's actually why I did. It wasn't even a question for me, which I, which I think is really what boiled down to. Right. It, it does it in a really good way. But when I realized that was the question that it was asking me. Yeah. And the ending, I think, tries to set it up. And it does set it up in a way that's kind of compelling. Uh, I was like, this isn't even a decision. Yeah. You basically, in order to have the robots take over, you have to shoot yourself. And in order for humanity to live, you have to shoot this other robot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, just clicking through the text, (laughs) just like shoot myself, shoot myself. Just let's do it. Let's get it on. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that was like, it's it's a small little thing. Yeah. It's fine. I wasn't bowled over by it. Right. Okay. All right. That's all I got. Yeah. All right. Maybe I'll get through. How are you done with semiosis? Yeah. Okay. I'll try and power through it then. Get the best you're, sleep of my life yeah, this week. That's what I was going to say. I was like, the positive is the next week you're going to be so well rested. You're like, I made it through semiosis and I also slept 60 hours this week. <laughs>